like a strand beast mocking the slow motionless wild 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 horses I broken into gallop too like the feeling of a dream fell to by accident stood awake just as lazily so now why not comb the cloud to get back through starving what it feels like mostly feeding someone else your heart from a distance feeling like a fool and picking all those thoughts apart is it wrong that all I think about is you these days did they drag me off or did I gladly run fast and free into your grips try and words like outfits but you can't wear gloves picking up the shiny shots of all the plots falling from my clumsy lips. hey everybody welcome to the houseless podcast this is peter agassin your host and the producer of the show welcome you all to another great episode and another fantastic conversation today's guest is andrew savage many know him from Parquet Courts, the band Parquet Courts. So before I get too deep into this setup, um, you know, Andrew's from Texas, from Denton. And uh, we talk about that. But I just want to, you know, send my well wishes and my thoughts um, out to the people affected uh, by the hurricane and the flooding in, in Texas. In particular, there's a town that I have a great affinity towards, that I've done a lot of work in, Beaumont, Texas. And if anyone's listening or knows, has any friends down there or is in that area, you know, just know that I'm thinking about you. I have so many great memories of that town from doing uh, shows down there. Some of you might know me as a booking agent and a show kind of curator, producer type. And um, for years, especially during the tenure of time I was working with Andrew's previous band, Ferguson Geronimo. I was their agent for a handful of years. Um, I did lots and lots of shows in Beaumont, and I know Beaumont has gotten hit pretty hard, and it really breaks my heart. Uh, there's some great folks in that town. It's a little town, not that very, is not on the radar for most booking agents. I mean, that's a fact for sure. And, um, but if you play, if you're a rock band or a band that plays in houses, then you know Beaumont well because there's a great house there. There was called Victoria House, and I'm really hoping that it's okay. Um, I actually started a small festival down there years ago called Bow Jam, which is kind of connected to South by Southwest, and I booked so many groups there and in that in that um, show house, but in different weird bars and stuff around that town. So. Everyone from Jeff the Brotherhood, Natural Child, um, Habibi, uh, People's Temple, Ferguson Geronimo. Um, so many, many, many bands. I'm not going to regale you with so many of them, but 
uh, when I saw all the damage there, it just really broke my heart. So I wanted to say something about that before we move into this. I think it's very relevant too because Andrew, our guest, you know, really came out of the house show culture of Texas. And it's, you know, house shows uh, in general, um, it's like a regional thing and in certain cities and towns in America and, and overseas as well. Uh, the, you know, bands playing in houses is how they play shows, period. Um, you know, ones that don't have booking agents, ones that don't, uh, you know, aren't 21, that don't want to play in, in a bar, that don't care to play in a club or a venue or something like that, that are too experimental or just really, it's just their means. So, I mean, when I was living in Humboldt and when I was living in Portland, Oregon in the 90s, and my many years working with all the bands in Nashville, um, and even here in New York, you know, it's just such a, uh, a culture and a scene with a rich, rich history. And I don't think that you would have a parquet courts if it wasn't for that scene or teenage cool kids or Ferguson Geronimo, um, or any of the projects that Andrew has spearheaded really. And the stuff that he puts out on his label, Dull Tools. So we got together and we talked, we talked about that type of stuff and we talked about, um, his label. I mean, he's kind of a jack of all trades, you know, a great painter, uh, illustrator who does a lot of the designing and packaging of all the releases on the label. And there's a lot besides, uh, Parquet Courts, uh, my great friend, Bob Jones band eaters put out a great album, future punks, which is, uh, you know, connected to that world. And, um, yeah, PC worship, uh, Beth Israel. So we get into it and we talk about it a lot. And I talk about Ferguson Geronimo a lot because I was their booking agent. So that's how I met him. And that's like right when he came to New York. And it's an interesting snapshot of that period of time for him uh, coming from Texas and into New York. Sort of like Jonathan Tobin, who's a previous episode here on the Houseless Podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. In fact, if this is your very first time tuning in, one, let me dial it back just a little bit. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a totally DIY self-produced thing and, um, there are no sponsors. I mean, you're welcome to sponsor. I I would gladly, uh, sell some ad space to help produce this thing. Um, but nevertheless, like I do this as a labor of love. It's a great release for me because I've worked in the music industry for a long time. And, uh, sometimes it can be a very insular world. And especially if you're self-employed, uh, you can, it can be very isolating too. So it's a great way for me to reconnect with people because I'm not going to shows every night. I don't go to bars every night and, um, I do my work and then, you know, take it easy. So this is a way I can have like long conversations that don't have to be, uh, at three o'clock in the morning in a bar. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd rather have a kind of clear conversation with someone. So anyway, you know, um, this is kind of why I do it. So go back. This is episode 53. There's a lot of great ones of a lot of different kinds of artists, different genres and people that work in the industry. So if you have any interest in that, if you're a touring artist or a manager or like you run a small label or a show promoter, like, you know, you might find something you like. So please subscribe while you're at it on iTunes, on SoundCloud. It's on Stitcher and, and many other uh, ways you can hear podcasts. So that's it. I'm going to get right into this. We opened the show with a song from Andrew's album. 
So the album is actually under uh, A Savage. And um, it's coming out on his label, like I said. Dole Tools is the imprint. Um, you should see it October 13th. The record is called uh, Thawing Down. And that track that I opened with is called Wild, Wild, Wild Horses. So, yeah, check this conversation out. Me and Andrew Savage here on the house list. I do know that when I first met you, it was like a kind of like this interesting like window into like where you were at because uh it was like around 2010 i mm-hmm. think Cause it, right, yeah yeah because it was like it was ferguson geronimo time basically but you had you obviously had like a couple other bands that were incubating or or had already been going so but i'm pretty sure it was like right when you moved to new york right? it was yeah it was right when i moved to new york uh ferguson geronimo was still at our most active at that point yeah so but you guys were did it exist in texas as that band oh yeah yeah it started in, in texas and uh you know at, at, at the point that we moved to new york uh we had the we had a bunch of seven inches we had four seven inches that had come out and uh at that point because i met you when you booked that tour for us that Austin and Bob were on, right. uh, Austin from Parquet Courts and Bob Jones from uh, Eaters, mm-hmm. uh, where we had just put out that first record with Hardly Art. Right, Unlearn, and, right? Yeah, Unlearn. And so, uh, yeah, that's the, that's kind of the, the, that was like the busiest point of the band, right, when I first moved to New York. Right. And that's also when Parquet Courts started in December of uh, 2010 um, so there were you know Berg Astronomer was full on Parquet Quartz was just starting I just finished uh, doing a band uh, called Teenage Cool Kids right, right. which uh, uh, was the first the third LP of that band was the first record on my label Dull Tools uh, and then I just finished being in a band called Wiccans who oh, yeah. just yeah. released their third record on Dull Tools this year, so they've they've gone on without me. I, I started yeah. that band, um, and so yeah, there was a lot of different projects going on at that time for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, it all was kind of sparked off when you got up here, I guess. I mean, did you move up here because of that? Like you wanted to push the the label and the bands out even further? Because obviously, no. living in Denton is different than living in New York. Of course, yeah, it is. Uh, what brought but you up here? At you know, when I was in Denton. I never felt like it uh, impeded me as far as like a music career or making music in any capacity goes. I mean, honestly, during that time, being from Denton to a certain person, it kind of meant something because there was such a good, uh, you know, it, it seemed like in the, 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 the mid-aughts, there was such a good uh, punk scene happening there, right. uh, kind of cultivated by the marked men who have a huge cult following and um, you know a lot when, when you tell people from you're from Denton they either ask you uh, about the marked men or they ask you about that uh, mountain goat song the best ever death metal band out of Denton uh-huh. uh, and so you know there was obviously the marked men inspired all these bands like certainly you know Ferguson Geronimo me and Jason like we we were watching uh, Marked Men, like you know, when we were teenagers, 
and you know teenage cool kids wiccans bad sports video all right uh who are still both of those bands still happening uh and um it was just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool place to be from, especially if you're going to be in a weird band because it's a, it's a weird place. Like it's, a, uh, it's a, in many ways, like a very typical Texas town. Mm-hmm. In many ways, a very typical college town. Right, right. But in a lot of ways, untypical in both those regards because it's got one of the most competitive music schools in the world is there, University of North Texas, where I went, mm-hmm. and. You know, you know. At, from that school, you've had people like William Basinski, Nora Jones, Erica Badu, all their bands. You know, people that go on to play on like the SNL band or late night bands. You know, people that come out of the one o'clock lab band. Like it's a, it's the oldest academic jazz studies program anywhere, and so it attracts wow. people from around the world. So you got people there from all over the country, from Japan, from Europe. Uh, so in a way, it feels really international, and and also Denton's had a pretty big uh, storied history on the experimental music scene because there's people that come out of the composition program, and um, so there's been a lot of like avant-garde and noise stuff that have come through. Like when I was there, there there was this house that had been doing shows for a long, long time called House of Tinnitus, and I, I assume it's still there. And and I saw a lot of you know cool like uh, avant-garde experimental. Kind of noise stuff. Was it like in the living room? It's in the living room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it almost it was like a really long shotgun house, so it almost looked like a double wide trailer or something. Um, you know, it, well, house shows in Texas too is kind of like a, also like sort of a, it's long a big thing. thing. I did it for years. That's how I met Sean from Parquet Courts. Is because in 2006 his band played uh, in my living room in Texas, and I I met so many friends that way. I met. Uh, you know, uh, I booked a show for Maneguar, who became Woods, right. and that's how you know Fergus Geronimo's first seven inch came out because I'd met Jeremy, who does the label Woodsist, and you know Jarvis recorded uh, Jarvis from Woods and Maneguar. He recorded and uh, you know, engineered and played some bass on uh, the Thawing Dawn record. So I, I met a ton of people through doing house shows and. Um, actually, that's where I met Todd P. Was in Denton because his parents lived there. Oh, that's right. Uh, right. And was he? Did he come to shows? Did he set up shows there? Or what? He didn't set up shows there, but he came. He came. Uh, oh. He came to my house, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd see him whenever we'd roll through. And he had booked uh, Ferguson Geronimo at um, Market Hotel and Silent Barn oh, yeah. uh, on our first trip to New York because I guess. Vice had gotten wind of us. This is back in like the MySpace days, and right. you know we were putting out these seven inch. So all these, all these, and the seven inches were doing good, and so all these labels would hit us up on MySpace, and Vice was just like, "Well, let's fly you out to New York and see what you can do," because uh, I don't know if Vice Records still exists, but it, it did at that point, sure. and they were interested. So no, moving to New York wasn't like a I gotta I gotta get in this industry. You know, it was more just like. You know, I I was born in Denton, Texas. I've, you know, I'm 24 and um, living in a college town. And, you know, I, I, I've been, at that point, I had toured Europe for a month and the U.S. a lot of times with teenage cool kids. And so I sort of figured out how big the world was. And whenever we'd go to New York, 
it kind of reminded me of that feeling like, you know, the world's a big place and there's a lot for it to offer. Right, right. And you don't necessarily see all of it in Denton. So it was more of just like kind of I need I need a new place. You know, I'm, I was a young guy and I need a new place to live. And I, I guess I set my sights in New York because, uh, well, I had the most friends there out of any place. Right. So they, anytime I go on tour in New York, there are always a lot of cool friends there. And, and it just it was exciting, you know. Yeah, you know what? Thinking back, I think I actually met you through uh, House Show in Denton because I reached out to you a million years ago. Before you, I think even maybe before or right when you came to New York. I'm trying to remember. It was definitely before we worked together because I was trying to set up a show for a band that I long since no longer work with, but this group from Lafayette, Louisiana, called Givers, and I hit mm-hmm. you up and. Uh, because I someone because I was looking to do a house show, uh, mm-hmm. set up a house show, and you had put me in touch with Final Club. Do you remember this place? Oh yeah, yeah, the the Lions Den. That's where that house would have been. Yeah. Oh yeah, I never went there, and I I don't even remember. I might have set it up or not, but I think even before we did any kind of shows ourselves, like I talked to you briefly, like in the email, because like, uh-huh. John Chavez gave me your email. I was yeah, like, right, yeah, I did. Uh, I booked waves at my at my house and in 2007 or 8 it must have been and yeah, that's and how Abe Lagoda. and Abe, yeah that you, you're exactly right it was uh it was actually Fergus Geronimo's first show now that no I think way. about it wow. it was Abe Bogota Waves uh uh Fergus Geronimo um Awesome Color oh wow uh, Psychedelic Horseshit uh and this band called Fungi Girls who were from Cleburne, which is a kind of podunk town west of Fort Worth, but they would they would come to Denton to play. They were like teenager dudes, and uh, yeah, wow. I, it, was, it was it was a fun night because I was I was friends with the Abagoda dudes. I was friends with psychedelic horseshit dudes. Yeah, uh, and it was yeah, it was a pretty. It was one of those week before South by Southwest things where that's a really exciting time in Denton because all the bands are coming down thirty five, so they they play Denton, and so I was yeah. I think I booked like five shows that week. Right. I think there was even, I don't know if it still exists, but there was that festival in Denton too, 8035 or something. Oh, Denton changed, 35. It changed names yeah, several a couple times. times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, one of my favorite times ever on tour myself, DJing, when I did, I did a tour in 2004, I think, I passed, we did Rubber Gloves uh, with, it was AWOL 1 and Z-Man uh, rappers, and we had a day off, and then we, Stayed in my friend's, uh, I think I've even told this story on this podcast before too, but we stayed in my friend's girlfriend's house, which was like above a garage, like one of these apartments, like above a garage, basically. And we sat and ate mushrooms like all day long and just watched movies on this couch, like Mm -hmm. watched fucking super troopers and stuff. And it was, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was just a great time just hanging out in that little town and walking around the square and going to that bookstore that's on the corner. Cycle. I was just there um, last week. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, wow. So your family's still there. You have friends and my old man's in Fort Worth and, uh, my uh, mom is in Dallas, but, uh, I don't really know anybody that lives there anymore. Uh, I mean, I do, but not sure. people that I keep in touch with. But, you know, it, it's it's such a revolving door. Um, you know, you stay in Denton if you get a job, like, at the university or something. Or if you, you know, maybe decide to, you know, raise a family there. Right. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't, 
I don't know I don't know anybody that's there anymore. All my friends it's kinda humorous. All my friends have either moved to Austin or to New York. Right. Um but yeah, I mean rubber gloves, that's where I started. Yeah, was, that was like the first like club sure. uh, that wasn't in Dallas. Because when I was in high school I was living in Dallas. Uh, but I would drive out to Denton to see shows at rubber gloves because um, you know, it seems like all the like Hardcore didn't didn't have like a hardcore scene back when I first uh, started going to shows there. Oh. It had like a garage scene and a lot of like yeah, like indie rock stuff would go through there. So like I you know I went up to Rubber Gloves to uh, to do that and uh, you know thankfully uh, Parquet Courts got to play Rubber Gloves before it closed. We played right. there in uh, November uh, of twenty. I want to say fifteen. Oh, nice. Uh, or or was it twenty sixteen? But but before it closed, and there was uh, another room there too, right? There's another venue there too. I'm like totally spaced. No, just the one. Just room. rubber gloves. Just no, but there's another venue in Denton that was kind of comparable. Oh, like touring would have been Haley's or Haley's. Dan Silverleaf, maybe. Yes, those two. Those were the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haley's was the next in line, I think, after uh, rubber gloves, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I yeah I. I I went to show many, so many shows at Rubber Gloves. I, I just, I feel like I know that place intimately. And you know, Denton is one of the last places in the U.S. besides maybe, um, I'm thinking Atlanta, New Orleans, and Nashville, where you can smoke cigarettes in bars. Uh-huh. And so that's my, I, my memory of Rubber Gloves is just this kind of, you know, this. Just smelling like smoke and having puffy eyes, and uh, you know, especially if it's like cold outside, no one wants to go out to smoke a cigarette, and so yeah. it gets this domino effect where one person lights up, and then another person's like, "Yeah, good idea," and then the whole room's just smoking. So that's <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, Austin from Parquet Courts, he was a DJ at Rubber Gloves. He had a he had a a weekly or a monthly night. Really? Yeah, he did. He. So when when we were in college together, like Austin, he's always like liked rock music, but he wasn't like known as like a rock guy back then. He was a DJ, and he he did, he had his uh, hip hop specifically uh, Houston hip hop DJ night. I know. I remember him being like super knowledgeable about it, even when we first met. He too. is. He truly yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. So he was he was doing he was playing that in the club. Yeah, not even doing bands uh, in any capacity. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, when he started, when he went on tour with Fergus and Geronimo and played bass, uh, that was, that was, uh, I think, the first time he'd, he'd played live in a band, uh, you know, in, in a serious manner for a long time. So you were just like, you want to just come up and do this? Like, we're, you're my boy, like, you want to try this band thing or what? Well, he was already living in New York, right. uh, so he was, you know telling me about how cool it was when he moved there and uh we you know we kept talking and then and then i don't remember if he said it or i said it but uh you know someone said you know i want to try to start a band would you want to do it with me and and so that was there was kind of that idea like okay yeah i've got if i want to start another band when i get to new york i could like you know um austin's down to play guitar uh but really it was just like i needed a i needed a fresh start somewhere Right. And I knew Austin. Obviously, I knew my brother. I knew Sean from, uh, you know, 
by the time I moved up to New York, not only had I met him playing my house, but our bands had gone on tour together, and he had booked shows for us in Boston, where he's from. Uh, so I knew these three random guys right. that I kind of brought together. Yeah, because so when the like the sort of the lineage between Ferguson Geronimo and Parquet Courts, I mean, there's so much crossover between the people in that band, at least initially. It was, but but the difference essentially is that it's more like that was you and Austin that's kind of started Parquet Courts, right? Yeah, I and mean, Max? it more or less started with me and Austin just kind of getting together and just playing guitar at the same time, right? Which I think built a certain quality to the way that him and I do these kind of I've had someone call them anti solos that we do where we're just both just um just kind of freeform improvised just wailing on guitar and that's yep. kind yeah. of how the band started was us just doing that and seeing like how we interact. It was me and him and in a practice space that uh that we shared uh it was Fergus Geronimo and the beats mm-hmm. uh and uh we would just get together then and you know i'd have i'd have uh my brother come and it, me and him would play kind of uh in the in that same manner just i mean that was a huge part of the way parquet court started was you know we would get booked on these shows but we didn't really have a lot of songs, so we just kind of get up there, and you know, Max would do a beat, and Sean would do a groove, and me and Austin would just kind of, you know, do whatever we felt like over it, and I would just kind of shout whatever I felt like over it. Yeah, it's very improv. Yeah, that's how a lot of the early songs got written, and you know, that's documented in a record, our first record, American Specialties, which. Still, a lot of people think the first Parquet Courts record is Light Up Gold, but there was one before that that uh, we recorded uh, on four track in that practice space, and oh, that's nice. that's called American Specialties, and so that's kind of you know. Did it come out? Oh yeah, yeah, it's out. It's uh, you know the label that released it on vinyl. Uh, it originally came out on tape, but the label that released it on vinyl constantly represses it. It's oh, never. Yeah. I have people emailing me saying where do I find this record? I'm like, it's never been not available. It's still there, you know? Right. I just saw the guy who put it out um, in Texas, and he was like, oh, I got another 100 copies to send you. So there's so <laughs> many copies of this record right. out there. Well, that, that band, it's funny, because that band, I mean, comparatively between the, the two bands before it, I mean, Parquet Courts was, like, super prolific as far as releases go. I mean, there's, like, mad albums and pieces of vinyl, singles and stuff, too. I mean, which is interesting kind of because Teenage Cool Kids sort of existed in a certain way, right? You guys just did like three, there was just like three albums. We did three albums and maybe three seven inches. Right. And then, yeah, I guess Ferguson Geronimo is sort of similar. I mean, there's two albums and a handful of seven inches too. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how it really took off in in a very unique way because not only is like, yeah, you did the consistently toured and worked that circuit pretty hard to a touring. You were road, like you took the, small amount of stuff with Ferguson Geronimo and then it turned into a real like working hard working band right would you agree like, yeah as as touring I think money has a lot to do with that of I course mean, yeah. Ferguson Geronimo was the first time anyone had given me money to record a record right uh, before that it was all just recording uh, recording stuff like in the garage in Denton uh, you know on a tape machine everybody collected gear in Denton yeah, and okay. we all kind of uh we all kind of, you know, pulled it together and like, you know, had this recording studio. But 
you know, parquet courts once, you know, Light Up Gold got reissued by What's Your Rupture, uh, that was the first time that we could record whenever we wanted and, you know, as much as we wanted to. Yeah. I mean, well, um, yeah, you could tell because there was some momentum. There's like an infrastructure. But, yes. I mean, but Dull Tools, like, when does that come into play? Well, so, like I said, that started uh, in 2010. Um, me and Chris, uh, who was in Teenage Cool Kids with me, now he plays in Future Punks, uh, we needed a way to to release the last uh, Teenage Cool Kids album, which was posthumous. Uh, you know that that band was never huge, but it it always did have a pretty big cult following, and so people there was a demand for it. So we wanted to do it, and and then uh, you know that that record did well, so we were able to put out another. And that second record was Light Up Gold, the uh, the second Parquet Courts record. Right. And for most people, the f- first time hearing Parquet Courts. Um, you know, we we did a pressing of um, a, a thousand. We we did the 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 LP release show was um, on August eighth, two thousand twelve. Uh, actually, like a week before the second Fergus Geronimo record was going to come out, and yes. hardly art was not happy about that. Uh, but I remember that. Yeah, there was some like it's like you have two bands that were existed, sort of coexisted. Yeah, simultaneous. Albums. I was just like, I don't know, different bands. Who cares? Uh, but so yeah, that 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 release show was at uh, uh, Death by Audio on August eighteenth, and it was with Proto Martyr, Family Curse, um, and uh, band name from Philly. Oh, uh, band name. Yeah. And uh, so that so that's when that record came out, and uh, you know. By that point, people in Brooklyn knew who we were, but nobody else did. We had people that were coming to our shows in in Brooklyn, and you know, especially at that point, we practiced like uh, multiple times a week. So we were, you know, we were really good live, I think. And uh, and then you know, the, the record started selling, um, you know modestly and then you know uh this thing happened this uh this writer uh douglas wolk mm-hmm. wrote for time magazine and he put us as like one of the top five songs of the year in time magazine so it's like you know a really obscure outlier in that list i think i think we were in between like rihanna and drake on that list Interesting. and uh and then all the records sold out immediately. And well, then, undoubtedly, like the press definitely picked up on you guys, like from that point, right? I mean, yes, there was a lot of great attention. By yeah, the press. and uh, and then we did another five hundred, and those sold out right away. Um, and then you know, attention was happening, um, and you know, it's 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 kind of funny because. Uh, you know, I, I you get wind of this this stuff, this kind of uh, this kind of backlash when you're a, when you're a local band on the scene, and then people outside the scene start paying attention to you, and you know you hear things like, oh, well, they just they bought a publicist, and that's how that happened, but that's that's actually not at all how it happened. It right. was a total complete fluke. You know, this writer Douglas Wolk, you know, he gets assigned this job. 
um, and he actually likes, he's heard this weird, you know, obscure record from New York, and he likes it, and he puts it on this list, and all of a sudden it's on so many people's radars. And so that that was kind of the moment when Kevin Pedersen from What's Your Rupture steps in and says, you know, can I can I release this record? And, and I was like, yeah, please, because I I can't really deal with these orders anymore. Right. Uh, so I'd love it if you did. And I loved his label. And um, yeah, it's a great label. Yeah, it is. And he's a he's a great friend. And you know, I'd met him through Ruben Mendez at uh, Hardly Art, who's right. a big part of Ferguson Geronimo. And um, you know, I was huge. Still am huge Tyvek fan. I mean, he's 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 was just, he in Tyvek? No, no, no. I mean, there is a Kevin in Tyvek. That's Kevin Boyer. But he he put out the first Tyvek double seven inch, right? Um, and uh, but he's also discovered so many bands outside of Parquet Courts and Tyvek, Fucked Up, Ice mm-hmm. Age, Royal Headache. He's amazing at finding you know these these awesome bands and just introducing. Uh, the world to them, so I was a huge fan of the label, and you know Kevin was a friend, uh, so it it made sense. And you know once uh, he, he takes his label very seriously and does it very professionally, so once he kind of came in, that's when a lot of people I think started paying attention. Right. Do you think you pulled from him as far as like how you did dull tools? Because you for sure because you mean, have a lot. I mean, since then the la- your label too is has evolved a lot too in a way as far as putting out other people from your kind of fam yeah i would go hang out with kevin when he had the office uh he had an office on west 13th in the west village and i would go hang out with him there and uh his office was such a mess it was such a wreck and i'm 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 a pretty tidy person so i'd be like i'm just gonna start i'm just gonna clean up your office (laughs) man And, and he'd be like yeah it's like you're my intern and and he did teach me a lot of things. I mean, he taught me about, you know, distribution. And um, he, before I had any sort of um, way to fulfill mail orders, uh, he let me do that at his office. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah, so he, yeah, he, he did teach me a lot about how to do a label. And, uh, you know, especially one thing I got from him is just kind of creative ways to promote things that are kind of out of the box because he was always looking for, you know, a creative way to promote something, um, be it like a poster that comes with a record or, you know, before enamel pins got really big, uh, I remember he did an enamel pin for Ice Age. And I was like, where'd you get this made? And he was like, I won't tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> you know, he was so proud of this, like, idea he thought of. And he, so he comes up with really cool ideas on how to um, promote bands and make them interesting. And, um, you know, I've always loved the way that he takes a really creative approach to doing a label. It's obviously a huge labor of love for him. Uh, oh, absolutely. Any label, I mean, of that nature, it's like you better, like, really love the artists that you work with and just the whole process because it's an arduous task you know to yeah and yet i still meet people here in brooklyn that don't you know that are just kind of oh, i don't know sure. maybe they are uh doing a label because they want to you know they want to get that hot band and right. you know, but with him it's not like that um uh, i think he's good at figuring out uh you know whether people are gonna really love something, but yeah, he's doing it because he loves music, like in a to an insane degree. Right. So what's up with what are you doing with the label now? As far as I mean, your your record is coming out. Your new record is yeah. coming out on 
it's the tools, it's the 20th release actually oh that's what's up yeah i like that i love the album thanks man. i listened to it oh great yeah i love my the joint that i went back to got i mean i, I just got i just started listening to it so uh-huh. i haven't had a ton of time to totally absorb it but it's um ladies from houston is that the name yeah yeah that's uh that's one of my favorites too honestly. oh cool i gotta give it to you man like uh like I think even since you know Ferguson Geronimo, like the stuff with Parquet Courts and where it's at now, like lyrically, you've always been like kind of pushing things in like a pretty cool and kind of creative, like vocal way of just the just the way you write your lyrics and deliver your lyrics. It's it's uh, I think you have a, a penchant for it, you know, like it works because it's you have a as far as translating like what's artistically like what you're trying to you know get out of your head like i mean uh i don't know i mean obviously that's more of a statement that's my opinion so it's not necessarily well, yeah, a question thanks for you saying know? that i mean i i i take lyrics really seriously it's um, i guess it's my favorite part of being in a band and always has been uh is being able to express myself in that way because it's it's you know it's kind of the most comfortable way for me to express myself creatively or the way I feel most comfortable or the way I, I feel the most comfortable uh, being honest and bringing me and my personality into uh, into the music right and you know I, I don't I don't always have the easiest time expressing myself just in person so you know lyrics are a great way to just put me in there and put my ideas and you know emotions in there and I you know I I, going back to you know first starting to get into music uh, lyrics were something I attached to at a young age uh, I think just through as far as like what you were listening to as a fan or something or what just did you read were you like a Uh, reader yeah always yeah Uh, I read the lyrics uh, I think I think it's something that maybe came out of uh, just ha- always having an appreciation for the tactile, the object, like be it the CD or the LP, being able to have something to visually stimulate you while you hear. Um, oh, yes, absolutely. Man. Yeah, I mean, I was talking with someone recently about um, the record uh, uh, Yes, Sir, I Will by Crass, and by the time yeah. I, I, I came... I came to that record as a Crass fan, but as a fan of the record uh, Feeding of the 5000, which is a very punk record. And then, you know, Yes Sir I Will is essentially an improvised noise record with a long-form poem going on top of it. And that was, you know, I didn't like the music at first, but it was the only, it was the only record I, you know, could, you know, I spent whatever small money that I had on that record so I had to love it because right, you, have you it don't now. know yeah you don't know when the next time you're going to get a new record is right. and that kind of opened up this idea that it doesn't just have to be riffs and catchy you know and catchy hooks and guitar parts and stuff that that it can be about the lyrics first and foremost right yeah I think going even going to that well one that's crass is such a amazing band i slept i mean i i think i've continued to sleep on them but they were i mean because when you come from a certain 
if you come up with a certain kind of music, you know, crass is like a, definitely a very specific thing, you know. But for that to inform what you're doing, which is very different in some ways, I mean, but in some ways it's not, you know, as far as the delivery of like a kind of these short form sort of stories and stuff too. Because um, I was thinking about too with that second album, Fergus Geronimo's second record, which is mm-hmm. has like it's totally starts to like break like the concept of those like songs start to really break apart a little bit as opposed to like unlearn you know yeah so kind of more maybe perhaps a little bit more straightforward like rock tunes in a way um uh but that second album is like on some sort of captain beefheart like uh uh at least portions of it too yeah i mean we were definitely listening to a lot of beefheart a lot of zappa yeah zappa Uh, for sure absolutely yeah uh i mean that band was that was I mean, th- it's funny that that band was kind of my first uh introduction to the music you know business at large because you know that was the band that Jason and I did just to kind of blow off steam from the bands that we were in because right. it was free and it was like genreless and it was uh you know it, it could be it could be goofy it could be serious. It could be whatever we wanted it to be, right, you know. Right. And there was no, there was no theme of it, and and that was liberating. I think at certain times it was confusing because it felt a bit kind of coreless, but uh, it was liberating in that um, you know we could. It made us realize we could just do whatever we wanted to. Like you know, there's the songs on Fergus Geronimo I think really span a pretty wide range of styles and oh for sure uh, and that was a lot of that is just having fun you know being like kind of home recording dudes and just wanting to try all these tricks and stuff um but yeah I mean we kind of got uh we kind of got embraced by you know what was like a uh, at that time in like the mid or late aughts like it was kind of like a garage thing was happening yeah uh, like a garage revival kind of thing was happening and we kind of got um we kind of got swept into that and you know that was kind of how uh you know it was it was by that avenue that i i first kind of got into the the music business really because so much of that stuff was getting signed at the time there's a lot of hype around it like definitely yeah during that time it just seemed like you know everybody that was, you know, uh, that did a band that was remotely lo-fi, um, was just, you know, getting these records put out, and it, it was, it was an exciting time, uh, because a lot of my, you know, my friends' bands were, like, going on tour and doing stuff, but, uh, looking back, I think there were, there were, I think there were too many bands. It was definitely, <laughs> I know, because especially when I was working at Panache, too, it was sort of the height of that yeah. garage rock kind of, uh-huh. quote-unquote, era, and uh, there was definitely a, a lot. I mean, there was a huge influx because they were kind of surging from different um, regional mm-hmm. stuff. So there was like just a gang of groups from San Francisco yep. and from New York and mm-hmm. uh, and maybe even and L.A., of course, and then Chicago. And then like you got all these like satellite groups like in the Midwest, like fucking like people like digital leather and stuff. And, uh, oh, yeah. And um yeah, psychedelic horse shit and eat skull. Yes, I mean there are Times th- New Viking. Yeah, digital Time, leather. Yeah. Now you know he does destruction unit. Now yeah, all these, uh, all these, all these bands that were a lot of them 
were just you know they were they were punk bands they were like DIY right. punk bands right, right. and then you had the stuff that kind of that was inspired by you know their kind of success uh, which kind of was more on the poppy end you know like like the Vivian girls or right. um, you know it, it, just any band and that was going in Brooklyn like in the it, during that time period there was a there was just a lot of them, and, and and some of it was really good, and but then a lot of it, a lot of it wasn't. But that's I don't know. That's just kind of how it goes, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's any genre of music. I mean, hip hop has experienced those kind of circular waves where there's like really great, innovative, boundary pushing people, and then there's some great stuff in the middle that's mm-hmm. it's solid and like reliable albums or songs, and then there's a lot of people that are. Um, just trying and can you know and then by politics of the business you know some of them get deals because labels want to file chase other people around I mean there's all types of reasons why we actually get to hear something too which is yeah I mean there's a gang of bands that don't that especially from your era of like when Teenage Cool Kids was around and when I lived in Humboldt which is like in the early late 90s early 2000s bands that never got to maybe they put a tape out if they were had a, if they were had their shit together enough, you know, or a CDR or something, but definitely didn't get signed or be able to tour very much. Maybe once or twice, go on a tour, you know. There's a whole legion of groups like that, you know, that sure. just disappear with the sands of time. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, Teenage Cool Kids still gets. I get fans that weren't even old enough to have heard about us when we were a band that are, you know, that are really excited and want to talk wow. to me about that. Like at Parquet Court shows, like they. They think that the coolest thing about me, they just saw me do a parquet court show. They think the coolest thing is that I was in, you know, teenage cool kids. And that's so, a trip. And their yeah, that's a trip because in their minds, it's like legendary. But the reality was like, you know, we played a show to like twenty people, and that was a killer night. You know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, the the yeah the legend has sort of transcended what it, what it was when it was actually happening in a way. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, do you feel like you because of the success of Parquet Courts too? Obviously, there's you and you've been on. You had some TV looks too. You you played in front of big audiences. That like are kids coming up to you? Like, what is that? What what's the that vibe like now? Because it's because when when say we were doing Ferguson Geronimo, it was just just doing shows because that's what we were all trying to do and stuff mm-hmm. with a with a little bit of. Uh, success and notoriety and a lot of like great um, records that garnered good attention from you know writers you know intelligent writers writing stuff like do you do you feel like there's like when you guys do shows or when you go out or now that you'll be solo doing this like is there like you know pressure for you to kind of act and be like I know this is more like a kind of a canned rock question in a way but like to be a sort of you know front guy type of thing like with people like they approach you like because you're well, a popular band now because yeah. I, I haven't really played too many sh- solo shows yet I just right. got finished doing three in Texas and I've done three just by myself in New York uh, which is funny because a week after Parquet Courts played the Governor's Ball which was you know to thousands of people, sure. ten thousand people, maybe I don't know. That's pro- very probable. Uh, and then I played this bar, Pete's Candy Store, uh, <laughs> in Williamsburg, right. um, and to maybe fifteen people, 
and like I'm shaking, you know, I'm nervous because I don't have my. I I could have played that governor's ball set with my eyes asleep essentially, right. but it, I didn't get nervous about it at all. But all of a sudden, I'm nervous, uh, you know, playing solo um, because I don't have a band behind me. It's just me, you know. It's just it's like I'm public speaking or something. So you're totally solo. Like these, what the shows will be like that? No, no, no. I did a show with the shows with a band in Texas, uh, but. I guess the reason I point this out is because uh, it it was refreshing to know that music could still be like that. It could still be exciting for me. Not that you know playing Governor's Ball isn't exciting. That was a thrill, but I can still get that butterflies feeling that I really like, and I think it's important to have that uh, to keep you grounded and keep you on your toes and. Um, you know, it, it felt like something new and, and really exciting. And even when I did have a band in Texas, there was, you know, there's some, I had to pay, pay way closer attention just because, you know, those songs aren't really embedded into my muscle memory yet. Sure. And I just, uh, I guess I'm thankful that I can uh, do something like that where, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of, uh, expectation because obviously it's very different than parquet courts i don't really know what to expect out of a set how people are going to react how many people are going to come and i think the people that you know have gone to see me so far they don't really know what to expect either so it's it's exciting uh in that not a lot of people have heard these songs yet but uh they have come out to my shows just you know not knowing what at all to expect. And I, I was in the same boat on the, the first show I did in Houston down in Texas. I was like, I don't know how many people are going to come tonight. It could be 10, it could be 100, I don't know. It ended up being around 50, but uh, it was uh, it was just cool to feel that again and not know. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, in a way, it sort of follows in line because the fact that you have already had like several bands like leading up to this. It's not like you had one... Uh, you know, group for for a decade plus, and then are striking out on your own for like you know for whatever reason. But it's kind of no different in a way of how you know you sort of crisscross from one project to the other until it lands on something like this. But I mean, uh, I don't know if that's how you would probably envision it. I mean, what? So why would you? What made you want to do the solo thing? Well, uh, I've had a lot of these songs for a long time, right? Uh, and some of them just never found uh, their place in any particular band for one reason or another. And uh, I, I guess I realized that there was this kind of collection of songs that I had that I wasn't using, but it was going somewhere. And I guess once I realized the direction that it was pointing to, I was able to write songs based off that and realize that, you know, maybe this is its own thing. Maybe this is just me. Maybe this isn't a band. It's just these are my songs, and uh, I want these to come out, um, you know, especially some of these ones that I've had for a long time. Uh, and, you know, I've got, I've got another voice that uh, I don't always Get to use in Parquet Courts or you know any of the other bands uh, that I that I want to do and 
Um, well, yeah, and it's, it's much slower in tempo, right? Mm-hmm. The songs, there's maybe more deliberate. Uh, right, moment. and also, I mean, at the same time I was writing this record, I was writing uh, songs for the next Parquet Courts record, and it was never confusing to me as to which was going to be on which because, you know, I've got a I've got a very clear idea of what I want the next Parquet rec- Courts record to be, and it's not anything like this record. Um, you know, Human Performance, our last record, um, was very melodic and fairly ballad heavy in comparison with you know our work at large, uh, and I. It's it's not that's not the mindset that I'm in for the for our next record, but I do still you know I do still have ballads and uh, songs that you know would I think fit kind of oddly um, on like a you know punk record. Uh, do you think that's what it's going to be like, punk? Uh, that's kind of what's coming out of me right cool. now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a it's an appropriate time to be angry and I want to harness that anger into something uh, constructive and uh, you know something that other people can kind of latch on to as well well you're pretty like outspoken guy from what I recall from the shows I mean you'll definitely say some shit on the mic I'll right? speak my mind I've gotten in trouble that way before yes have you sure yeah well that's good I mean uh, as you should like you know absolutely speak your mind this is the time there's a lot of stupid shit that's happening that is uh, you know needs to be commented on, especially by someone that has perhaps an audience that's willing to, you know, lend an ear, too. Yeah. In a way. Um, So I want to know more about the writing stuff, though, too, because I'm kind of uh, fascinated about that. Like, do you, how you um, would uh, sit and write? Do you do it in the daytime? Do you just sit, do you just sit at home and work all day long or something? Or do you have, like, a formula? Sometimes I have days like that where I'll just kind of lock myself in my room and just uh, and just write all day long. Are you pretty disciplined? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Sure, I'm, I'm pretty disciplined. I mean, I have to be. I do so many things. Like um, as far as parquet courts goes, um, I I handle the the brunt of like the kind of more boring administrative tasks of the band. Right. Uh, and the same thing with the label. Uh, and you know, I also am a visual artist, yes. um, and I, I paint. Um, and you know, I've got a studio in Bedsty where I'm at. I'm at virtually every day that I'm that I'm in town. And not far away from that is uh, is our rehearsal space where we make music. So uh, you know, I'm 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 at I'm at both of those places um, multiple times a week. Uh, the studio uh, almost every day um, and just doing uh, Dole Tools stuff uh, and Parquet Court stuff. It's all uh, it's all something that I have to be disciplined about. Like, because I you guess. do all the layout and the art, art direction and all the art right. work, for, yeah, especially I, all the Parquet Court stuff. It's all you, right? Yeah, but then all the, all, the, all the bands on Dole Tools, I, I lay out most of their records, too. Oh, cool. Too. You did Eater's? Uh, yeah, I mean that was their, those are their photographs. Yeah. And they chose typefaces, sure. but I, you know, I laid it out. Um, so I have to be. I guess I, you know, at a certain point I realize, like, you know, I can't wake up at ten a.m. and you know expect to be productive. 
uh, I've got to you know I've got to wake up early and I've got to know what I'm doing that day. And so I've, sure. I'm a big list guy. I'm oh, yeah. constantly making lists, and every morning when I wake up, there's a list to consult. Of you have to give yourself deadlines, and you have to uh, put pressure on yourself because uh, you know in all of these you know um, ways that I you know, all these creative outlets that yeah, I have are essentially ways that I make money. Right. Uh, I am the boss and I've got to keep myself busy. And so, yes, I am, I would say I'm, I'm pretty disciplined and that, that goes for the creative process too. Um, you know, it's something that's been on my mind right now because I'm writing for a Parquet Quartz record and there's studio time that's booked. And I know that, you know, any material I want to be recorded, it's got to be done by then. So sure. I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I pretty much will will section off weeks within a month to work on something. Um, this week has been a visual art week, but uh, next oh, cool. week is going to be uh, a a songwriting week for sure. Like I, I, I imagine I'll probably lock myself in a room for five days straight and just do nothing but write. Do you can you like listen to music during that time, or you must be like in total silence, or like would you read or anything like reading for sure? Uh, listening to music, um, well, the way I would listen to music would probably change. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always listening to music, but uh, uh, if I'm writing rock music, I I might want to at you know at the end of the day when it's time to, like crack a beer open, I might want to uh, you know put on a, a jazz record or electronic record or something just to just to kind of do a palette change. Of course. Absolutely. Um, what about the, what are you working on right now for, as far as um, painting and visual arts? Uh, I got two canvases I'm painting on right now. Are they um, portrait, portrait stuff? Uh, you could call them portraits, but not in the most conservative sense of the word, right, right. but uh, they, there, are, there are figurative elements to them. Uh, and I'm working on a record uh, right now um, that is uh, coming out on Danger Mouse's label uh, with this guy Daniel Lupi and Mark Mothersbaugh is also involved. Wow, okay. Uh, and it's uh, it's something that all of Parquet Courts recorded for like a couple of years ago, and I ended up writing a bunch of music for it, but I'm also doing artwork for it, so I'm working on artwork for that right now. Interesting. Yeah. So it's an album? Yes, it's an album. Like people collaborating multiple musicians collaborating on it or exactly yeah yeah uh, it's also it's got Karen O on it um, are you able to say what it is or is it still kind of yet to be unveiled to the world I don't know if it's been it hasn't been yet okay um, cool I don't know when it will be or when this will go up but I mean it's uh, it's called Milano um, cool and uh, so that, that I've, I've been working on that and then uh, there's a lot of kind of kind of art components of my record that I have ideas for that I'm working out. Oh, for the solo record. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then yesterday I was working on a Parquet Courts tour shirt for the European tour that we're doing in August. Um, oh, shit. Okay, I didn't realize. You're right about, then you're right about to go back out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just like, yeah, just stuff like that. It could be It could be anything from, you know, very personal painting that I'm working on to something that's applicable to to uh, music, or I mean, I've done I've done album art for other bands too, uh, and I, I I do have a problem I think turning things down despite how busy I am 
so I do find myself in this place where I'm just like nonstop in workaholic mode and you know I also have to write a record and uh, I, you know I, I like being busy um, but I do I, I do need to set some boundaries for myself in the future because there have yeah. been points in the past where it's become a problem well for sure I mean if you're like uh, you know self-employed your own boss too then of course you're going to want to agree to as much as possible because you don't know when that stuff's going to stop coming around exactly. I know that I mean that's how I do all this stuff too it's all uh, you know you have to answer to yourself but and then if you're a creative person by nature you're going to want to continue to stay engaged with stuff too I mean exactly um, and that's I, now that we've said this this is a huge reason why moving to New York attracted me is because there's such this kind of hustlers free, freelancers mentality here oh, yeah. where uh, you know just kind of watching other people grind encourages you to grind you know right. and yep. uh I'm inspired by, you know, so many people around me uh, who, you know, have these creative projects that they're very passionate about, that they take very seriously. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have many, like, lazy friends in my life just because it's, it's you've got to be a pretty privileged person to do that here. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, nah, you got to get up and grind every day. I mean, that's when you were even talking about lists. I mean, I try to be better at that and I do when I when I make one before I go to bed at night and then I start with that then I always accomplish like a ton of shit if mm -hmm. I think that I can wake up and start the day and just kind of start planning at the beginning of the day then typically my my shit is just so misguided and I end up starting a bunch of different things and maybe finishing a, a couple um but you have to be super methodical and strategic, uh, even when you're doing small project stuff. Even with this podcast, I mean, it's like I have to like, you know, because if I, you know, if I'm gonna do this once a week, I gotta. It has to be a constant thing, you know. So yeah. Um, but I love the painting stuff. I love. It reminds me. I love the print work too. But even like that second Ferguson Geronimo record, that was that was your yeah uh, artwork. Yeah. Yeah. I sort of. I don't know if you get this or if you see this in it but um it reminds me of peter max and i love peter max um psychedelics san francisco california no uh, you don't yeah, see I, that oh no yeah yeah not uh uh and i don't mean to offend you if by no no no, no 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 color schemes are kind of have a similar sure thing. yeah it's, it's all part of the greater consciousness man like it's not a it's not a direct influence on me but yeah sure. it's all all the, all these ideas they're they're all out there you know yeah, they're, all just, sure. we're all, they're all just filtering through us but uh it's uh you know i it's it's one of the things i like about the label so much is uh you know getting to make the records that i would want to buy you know records with cool packaging and yeah. um you know since this is the twentieth Doltools release, this new uh, this new Thawing Dawn record, you know, it's I'm kind of I'm kind of doing some some extra kind of packaging things and uh, just just because I'm someone with an eye to detail, especially aesthetically, it's cool to kind of be on the uh, the business end of that and being able to just produce things that I think are not only cool mu cool musically and great artists but just kind of cool objects in right. of themselves yeah i love it man i mean otherwise everything is is good with you i mean you're bit obviously you're staying very busy i mean uh 
like and you've now been here in New York for for a this while. is my first summer in New York practically in four years uh, because every summer has pretty much been uh, parquet courts doing the the European tour circuit right. uh, so this has been really nice because I've had more time this summer to work on uh, other things besides touring uh, than I have in a long time and I and I love touring too um, you know I mean, you've, you've played all over the world time and time again yeah I love it and that's you know, I'm the only one in the band who uh, doesn't really have the domestic lifestyle. I'm single. I live with roommates, um, and I I, well, I like touring, and I, I would like to do it more often. So I'm excited. Like this is going to be a busy fall for me. I'm I'm going to do a, you know a, a tour for the solo record, uh, you know, with the band that plays on the record. And uh, Parquet Courts is going to tour uh, a couple times, and uh, yeah, I might even make it over to Europe before the end of the year. Oh, solo? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if not, then early next year. But it'll it'll be cool because you know I've, I I figure I have I have that kind of lifestyle here. Like I I have the kind of lifestyle where you know I can I can I can drop things here and then go on tour for a couple of months. And then you know one of my roommates will look after the cat, and besides that, you know I, I've 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 got the kind of life where I can I don't have a wife waiting at home for me. I can just go out there and do it, and uh, and I'm excited about that. It's it's, it's a big reason why I wanna why I wanted to do this record because you know one of my favorite things about touring is meeting people, playing smaller places. Uh, Parquet Courts doesn't really get to kind of play the kind of places anymore where you know it's like a dive bar and then after the show people hang around and hang out at the bar and you you know you close the bar out and have a great time like that doesn't happen to me much anymore we play we we, you know we've always tried to still play small shows uh and but as venues you got to load in and load out and people leave people leave yeah because that's the reason you don't these aren't the places that parquet courts play by and large aren't places that people go to drink where the kind of rooms that I will be playing on this tour that I'm doing in November yeah they're going to be like bars and and you know I've I've met a lot of my favorite people at bars after uh after a show uh so I, I'm just kind of looking forward to you know it's it's like I was saying with the feeling nervous thing again. I never want to not be psyched to like play at a dive bar, you know. In fact, I am psyched to do it because it's it's been a while since I've done a tour like that. So, uh, you know, life it happens in cycles, and and I'm glad that this one is kind of coming back in. You know, I'm sure at certain points I'll be like, you know, where's the why don't we just get a hotel tonight or something? You know? <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to. To just kind of winging it, which is how I learned to do tours anyway. Which is oh yeah, you know, mastered winging it. Yeah. That's for sure. Dude. <laughs> well, um, I think it's great, man. I'm I'm proud of you, and and just to see where you uh, have gone since we first met, and when you first got to New York, and in just the amount of music that you've written, and that you guys both with Parquet Courts, but with all the other stuff too, and the artwork, I think it's dope, man. I think yeah, you you are, uh, you know truly pushing forward as like a self-sustaining like you know artist in like 
very corporatized, you know, city and industry. So I think it's cool, man. I appreciate so, that. Yeah, for sure. And thank, thank you. you for thanks for coming to the house and doing this too. I appreciate it. For sure, man. For sure. Thanks, man. Yo. I want to thank Andrew Savage for taking his time to do this conversation with me. He came out to the crib in Brooklyn. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Please do not forget to subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Repost it. I'm on Twitter at HouselessPod. If you like this conversation, just help me spread the word a little bit. That's all I ask. Um, get it out there. If you if you have friends that are into parquet courts or um, are in Denton, you know, just slide it over to them. They may dig it. You know what I'm saying? And in the meantime, go to Dole Tools website and pre-order um, the A Savage uh, album. Uh, the wax is available and it's going to be out everywhere October 13th. Go do that right now. DoleTools.BigCartel.com is the way to find it. Um, thanks again for tuning in. I'm going to close the shot with another little taste of of wild 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 horses from the album from a savage and uh yeah enjoy it y'all and i will see you guys very soon every episode is edited and engineered by cj stewart and uh yeah be safe out there y'all talk to you soon bye listen to me closely hear my words and feel something i don't see you as much as I need to, and I need to know what that means. Motel benches longer than the trees that died for them. Out opposing ends, bow your head and out. Fill your glass and not your ears. Promise always that's a long ways and the world is big. But your eyes are too Plus I'm a little drunk And I know what I want I didn't always know No, it's taken years Darling Take your dress off slowly I still got one eye open In the morning Wake me up Start shivering Not quite sure what to do.